renowned criminal defense attorney, Neil Rockheim. Hey everyone, this is Neil Rockheim. Welcome to another edition of Killer Cross-Examination. I want to first of all wish you all a, a Happy New Year. I hope that 2021 is a better, more prosperous, healthier, and safer new year for you and for all of us. Um, I know that everybody was just uh, on holiday and on break, and um, believe it or not, um, I had to actually conduct several court appearances, and I want to talk about one of those uh, over the holiday break. I want to talk about bail. It's a subject that gets ignored, arraignments get ignored, bond issues get ignored over and over and over again. And my blood was boiling on New Year's Day this year, 1-1-2021, to such a degree that I figured this is a subject we've got to talk about. We need to expose and shed a light on the importance of bail and bond decisions and magistrates using the bail and bond procedures and bail and bond hearings and arraignments appropriately, legally, and constitutionally, and not using them as a, like a, a piece of tape to tape two torn pieces of paper together. We're not using it as some stopgap measure or using a, the arraignment as a way to just check off a, a box that you just, I just checked it off, just checked off a constitutional, I just checked off that he, I, we arraigned him. I just checked it off. I didn't really give him a real arraignment, a full arraignment, I didn't give him a real full hearing. I just checked it off, though. He got it. That's enough. Because what's happened and is happening is that arraignments are being conducted in order to fulfill the constitutional requirement, the legal requirement that defendants who are incarcerated get an opportunity to appear in front of a judge or a magistrate in a timely way. But some of those bond hearings are pointless. Some of those arraignments are in front of magistrates that um, are, from what I can tell, just, I don't know, just just not taking seriously the idea that their decision could result in the incarceration of a person who is presumed innocent. Let me tell you the story. So maybe I'll tell you the law first. Let me tell you the law. Okay? So we all know that there are certain requirements under both the state and federal constitution. The federal constitution of the Eighth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution says that excessive bail shall not be required. Excessive bail shall not be required. Think about those terms. Excessive bail. And to pick up on that, Michigan statute, because we're in Michigan, actually addresses something similar. Michigan statute says... A person accused of a criminal offense is entitled to bail. The amount of bail shall not be excessive. In fixing bail, judges should consider the following. 
the seriousness of the offense charged, the protection of the public, the previous criminal record, and the dangerousness of the person accused, probability or improbability of the person appearing in court. And we've got, we've got rules that tell us how to make those judgments. And on January 1, 2021, in my opinion, that entire system broke. It was like a short circuit. <laughs> like everything just froze. Let me tell you the story. I have a client, young man in his 30s, who was arrested and charged with an offense. He was arrested and charged on the 31st. Well, I should say arrested on the 31st, but in charge on the morning of the 1st. It's a holiday. Banks are closed. Courts are closed. Almost everybody is off. He has no prior record. He has no properties or ties outside the state. He has very strong family support within the state. He's gainfully employed. He's well-educated. He has no prior criminal history. On top of that, he and his family have retained counsel, us. All those factors weigh overwhelmingly in favor of him being given uh, a release on his own recognizance. So I make it a point to ensure that I appear at his arraignment. And they're going to conduct the arraignment virtually. We used to have to try to hightail it out to a a court or somewhere and do the arraignment or a police department and do the arraignment and try to just breathlessly running into the police department. I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. Let me do the arraignment. And it used to be a cat and mouse game sometimes where police departments would actually conduct these hearings and they would conduct them and the hearings would be, um, uh, we, they would say, well, we're doing the hearing in 10 minutes, and we would be half an hour away, and wait, wait, wait. They wouldn't wait, and we would be all... It was this cat-and-mouse game before that it shouldn't have been in order for us to be able to appear at some arraignments with some police departments. Well, get this. So now, because of COVID and virtual technology, we're able to participate in these arraignments via Zoom or via uh, Microsoft uh, Rooms. They all use Zoom that I'm aware of. So we agreed. We'll, we'll appear by Zoom. So uh, the police officer kindly agrees that he'll let me know when the arraignment is set. I wake up on, on the 1st, and I first thing I do is I call the officer. Oh, we just got the warrant signed. We're going to do the arraignment in like a few minutes. Like a few minutes. I barely even had time to, you know, like wash my face and to have a sip of coffee. But I hop out of bed, um, you know, head down to uh, my office and begin the process of conducting, I wanted to, and signing on. We sign on, and I lay out all of the factors in support of the favor of my client, all of them that I just listed for you. The, the officer says nothing. He doesn't ask for any type of bond, one way or the other. The magistrate had begins to to describe the incident and the events as laid out in a police report apparently or some other communication that was made to her maybe during a swear to or something but some other proceeding not the bond arraignment proceeding because she begins to describe the incident as one that 
scares her, basically. Doesn't say scares her, but one that causes her to be concerned for the the public. And I'm, of course, I I object to whatever the and I have for years been objecting to judges and magistrates using police reports to address bond issues. Police reports are one-sided documents. They're prepared from the perspective of the police officers who are an interested party, or from the, the, the perspective of the victim or alleged victim, an interested party. They're not neutral documents. That's why police reports are not admissible in court. Did you know police reports weren't admissible in court? They're not because they're hearsay and they're not reliable. They're just one person's narration or narrative of their version of the facts. And so I then make my pitch. The magistrate goes through and describes how she's concerned that our client is a danger to the public. I point out that he has no prior record, no history of mental illness, no history of mental health issues, no history of dangerousness that we know of. It's a standalone incident, and that we're prepared to defend it, and we're going to defend it. She then says that a personal bond is unwarranted. And then she says, shockingly, that she's going to set a high cash bond. And then she sets a bond that would have been challenging on January 1st for Jeff Bezos to post. She set a $150,000 Cash surety bond on January 1st, when banks are closed, when there's no ability to conduct transactions, no ability to, to, to withdraws, no ability to, to get checks, $150,000 cash surety, no 10%, which means that our client or his family had to either post $150,000 walk into a police department or to the jail with it because courts are closed. And then, and, and or hire a bail bondsman, which would cost them between ten dollars and $15,000, which they will not get returned. Literally taking ten dollars or $15,000, handing it over, burning it. Might as well burn it because they're never getting it back. I go crazy. I object. I call it offensive. I point out his lack of prior record. She points out that there were guns at his house. I point out that he's a CPL holder, so that means that he's been cleared to possess guns, and he's a lawful gun owner and has for years been a responsible gun owner. Doesn't matter. That's the bond, she said. That's the bond. No, now, if she were genuinely concerned with whether he posed a threat of harm, like you would if there was a, in a child molestation case, she would have, um, or alleged child molestation case, she would have perhaps, uh, even after setting a high cash bond, would have required a tether or something like that. No tether requirement. Just an outrageous amount of, of money to, for any human being to try to come up with, but in life, let alone come up with on the spot, let alone come up with on a holiday. I'm blown away, and I, and I express how blown away I am by that amount of bond. So I say I want to appeal, because it's a de- decision by a magistrate. We should have the right to appeal to the judge, a judge who's hearing these cases over the weekend or, or the judge assigned to the case. 
So I say, I want to appeal. Who do I appeal to? She doesn't know. I don't know. I don't know who's, I don't know of any judges that are working. Well, who's the judge assigned to the case? We don't know. Well, there's got to be some judge assigned to the case. We don't know who it is. Well, how about the judge in whose courtroom you're in? I don't know if he's, if he's, if he's working. And he wouldn't even necessarily, from what we learned later, be the judge assigned to this case. So no ability to appeal. So high cash bond, $150,000 cash surety, no 10% bond. Do you think that violates the Eighth Amendment as excessive? Seems that to me. That's pretty excessive. That's more than anybody could post. That's more than billionaires can post on the fly. And on a holiday, when people can't get access to their funds, that's, that's a bond that you know that the person can't post. Or should know that the person can't post. Does that seem like it violates Michigan's rule? A person is entitled to bail. The amount of bail shall not be excessive. What could be more excessive than setting an amount to saying that your intention is to, what, protect the public? So your intention is to, what, set a high bond with, that cannot be, that, that, that on this date and time on, cannot be posted? I put that out as a question because that's the question that I had. That's the way it seemed to me. And then when I, then we start to call around to the police departments. How does he post this bond? His family wants to post. I call the police department. How about they wire the money to you? No, we don't do wires. She first offers that they can do a bank account or they could do a, excuse me, a credit card payment. But of course, a credit card is processing a $150,000 charge. Could you imagine the credit card processing fee on that? Holy moly. Then they offer, then we call the court back and say, well, how do they post? The magistrate doesn't know. How about a bail bondsman? I'm like, yeah, but that means that they have to pay the bail bondsman and they won't get that money back. It was almost like, it seemed to me, my opinion, that they didn't know. They had no plan for how a person could post this excessive amount of bond. It was just a number thrown out there. It looked like a big number. It was a powerful sounding number. And it certainly was a number that it seemed like 99.9% of the population wouldn't be able to post at any day, let alone on January 1. But then I say they want to post. Uh, they can't do a wire. No credit card. Um, they, they, we then hear that... that that they had to use a bail bondsman, which would again cost them a ten percent fee, so between ten and fifteen thousand dollars out of pocket. Just take that that ten or fifteen grand and just burn it. Warm your hands with it because it's gone. Then we hear then then I then a voice from the back of the 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 room uh, at the courthouse tells the magistrate that the jail will only take ten thousand dollars. How about that? So the jail. Even if they walked in with a satchel of $150,000 in cash, they couldn't pay that bond uh, on, at the jail. So can't pay it at the police department because they won't take it. Can't pay it at the jail. It'll only take $10,000. No checks. Credit cards. But there's no credit card that would process that amount. So then, then I get a call back from a clerk telling me, because I'm super frustrated, 
Because I just see the arraignment process just being abused here. This is just, this is not what people have in mind. This is not what the, the setting a reasonable bail or a non-excessive bail amount is. This is setting a bond amount that appears out of reach. After reviewing a police report that is not an admissible document. You want to make, you want the allegations to be the basis for what, what the, the, the amount of a bond that you set, then let's have a hearing like they do in federal court. Don't just read a police report and tell us those are the facts. You got the detective there. Say that you're not satisfied at this point, that you don't know enough information based on the charge. You want to hear more? And let's have a, let's, let's have a hearing. That should be the rule that a police officer should testify to the facts and be cross-examined. And the judge can make up the decision based upon that. And we can introduce evidence at that hearing about our client's background, that our client is an acceptable risk, that it doesn't, our client won't pose a threat of harm to the public. But not read a police report, a biased, uh, subjective document. And it was seemed as though the document had already been read before the hearing started. And I'm just sitting here blown away that this is where we are in 2020 and 2021 with our legal system. Then I get a call from the clerk telling me, oh, you know what? You can post that bond at the jail. I'm like, great. How do they post it? Well, they can walk in with a cashier's check. I'm like, banks are closed today. How would they get a cashier's check today? And even if they got one, I'm told, they won't accept it until they can call the bank and verify funds, which, of course, is impossible because it's New Year's Day. Talk about a shit show. And, a, and just a, a, a breakdown. Yes, I got into an argument with a colleague of mine when I expressed my frustrations about the events of that day. I got into a colleague who wanted to tell me that um, the arraignment process worked because my client got a hearing in front of a magistrate. And in the past, that wouldn't have happened. And I pointed out to him, and I say again here, that I'm not going to pat you on the back because you did the barely minimal thing, the barely minimally required thing, which would be to give my client access to a magistrate. It's not access to a magistrate that is the issue. That is one issue. That's just giving me, opening the door. But it's, once I'm inside the door, am I going to have a meaningful opportunity to have a, a meaningful, reasonable hearing? Having a hearing where, where a report has already been reviewed, and the decision is made that is not appealable, and a bond is issued which is not postable, and nobody seems to know, or there's no mechanism to, in the modern day, post this bond, was offensive to me. And even during my discussions with this colleague, I stood by the fact that my view of the totality of the events of that day convinced me that the, the bond issues, the way that we treat arraignments and the way that we have treated arraignments needs to change. It is insulting. High cash bonds are not an equivalent. They are not meant to be set to be used to express the frustration of the magistrate with what he or she read in a police report. 
or they're not meant to be used as the equivalent of of a uh, to keep the the door to the jail locked so that the accused doesn't get out. They're not meant to be the equivalent of of monetary handcuffs or a financial restraint to the point that nobody can post it. A a cash bond or an amount of bond is meant to put an amount of money on the table that will cause the accused to see the significant consequence, i.e. the loss of that money, if he or she violates the conditions of bond by being dangerous, violating the law, or not appearing in court. But it's not supposed to be an amount that's set that is that is beyond the reach of the, the person who's charged. It's not meant as an equivalent of a detention order. It's not meant to be used to put the ability to post bond so beyond reach of the accused that he or she remains confined. That's an abuse. And giving me access to be abused does not feel like something I should be very thankful for. And I'm not and wasn't. This stuff has got to change. We need to have meaningful court appearances at arraignments. We need to have magistrates who conduct hearings, even if they're short, but hearings where officers make the case or prosecutors make the case for why a a detention or a high cash bond is warranted, not where a judge or magistrate reads a police report. Why don't I just submit my own report and read that instead? My client's innocent. He's wrongly accused. Here, read that one instead of the one that they submit. And so... We need to have a reform again of these bond proceedings. No police reports in the court file. No police reports being read by magistrates. A meaningful hearing where we can actually, evidence is actually put on the record by a police officer about what the reasons are for believing that the person's a flight risk or is a danger to the public. And modern day, the modern day ability to, one, appeal an erroneous or or excessive or unreasonable bond decision immediately to have that review and the ability to use uh, 21st century um, financing technologies to get bonds paid. Why someone can't transfer money from their bank account to a bank account for the county or the state to post bail is beyond me. It's a simple transaction. And it can be done without there being tellers or bank employees or even clerks. And it can be done via computer and with technology to verify that the funds are there and the person can sign something saying that the funds are not refundable and not they can't be contested in a chargeback. There are lots of ways for technology to move the legal system out of the dark ages and further into the 21st century. 
And it's about time that that happened. This is Neil Rockheim. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of our podcast, Killer Cross-Examination. You can find us at KillerCrossExamination.com, on Instagram, on YouTube, on the Internet. You can find us anywhere where people are trying to learn how to better their the representation of their clients and where citizens are learning how to, to, to manage and function in the legal system in a better, more just way. Your host, the nationally renowned criminal defense attorney, Neil Rockheim.